Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Hi, everyone. We're going to try something different this week. As I mentioned at the top of the last show, it continues to be our goal to bring you smart but accessible insights from BNF analysts on a range of topics relating to the transition to a low-carbon future. But of course, insights can come from anywhere. Sometimes it's good to have a different perspective. Sometimes it's good to hear directly from leaders out there in the field bringing about this low-carbon future. This week on the show, we've got Bob Dudley, chairman of the Oil and Gas Climate Initiative, or OGCI, an international industry-led initiative established in 2014. The idea behind the OGCI is that member companies come together to take practical action on climate change and accelerate the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions in full support of the Paris Climate Agreement and its aims. Bob joined the oil and gas industry in 1979. He's held a variety of engineering, commercial, and management positions worldwide, including serving as Group Chief Executive of BP from 2010 to March of this year. My co-host, Dana Perkins, who also heads up Europe, Middle East, and Africa for BNF, did this interview as part of the BNF London Summit on October 19th. BNF users can see this interview and more, including all the BNF analyst talks from the summit on BNF.com, the BNF mobile app, and the Bloomberg terminal. As a reminder, BNF does not provide investment or strategy advice, and you can hear the full disclaimer at the end of the show. I'm Mark Taylor, and you're listening to Switched On. Now over to Dana for her interview with Bob Dudley. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline, it's teamwork, and it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Thank you for joining us today. Good morning, Dana and everyone. Good to be here. This is a treat for me to be able to interview you. So let's dive in with the first question. So I have that for many companies, emission reductions targets are really Paris aligned and focused around the year 2050. But at the OGCI, you've chosen to look a little bit nearer term and and looking closer five years into the future. So why was the choice made to focus emissions reductions targets on the nearer term? Well, the OGCI, the Oil and Gas Climate Initiative, is 12 of the biggest companies in the world. And we thought it would maybe be too easy to put a number out there in 2050. So we set near-term targets, worked out a methodology together. We set targets in 20. 
2017, set a baseline in 2017, targets in 2018 to 2025. We have rigorously gone through and, and measured third parties and verified our numbers and on two targets. One is methane reduction targets. We set a target of 0.25% by 2025, came in at 0.23% this year. So ahead of where we thought we would be in 25, 2025. So that's really good news. And this allows us then to keep pushing ourselves, sharing information and data, and keep rigorously moving towards the targets, which I'm sure we'll set to 0.2 next in a near short time. We've done the same thing with a carbon intensity target on our upstream operations. This is really good news, better outcome than we ever expected as we started. Still a long way to go, though. So why do you not also have a long-term goal that's kind of further out into the future that you are also working towards? Because it looks like you're going to continue to beat the short-term goals. Well, it's a, it's 12 companies. Uh, three of them are national oil companies, and, and, and the others are international oil companies. Some of them require their governments to approve the long-term targets, but many of the individual companies have set targets out there, 2050 targets or, or earlier in different metrics. But this is a collective. It's a big collective. So we do what we can do, and it's actually easier to set a target shorter term and then push rather than the really one far out on the horizon. What are the best ways that the OGCI has, I guess, among the members in the collective to hold each other accountable? Well, we we uh, we get together. We avoid any of the antitrust issues, which you have to. We never talk about oil prices, but when we do get together, we talk about the technology, we talk about new ideas, we talk about things that we're doing in the field, and collectively, we've also set a billion-dollar fund to clean technologies, many of which involve the monitoring, the detection. Uh, the measurement of, of methane emissions, for example, using uh, on-surface technologies, drones and satellites. We just launched a second satellite with a company we invest in. So we do it through our investments. And then we also allow those companies that we invest in to use our big sets of assets around the world to do pilot projects and test things. Uh, and then we share all that data and information. So it's it's truly something unusual, I think, in, among big sectors and industries that the big players in the in the sector come together to try to all work together towards reducing emissions and our carbon intensity and our footprints. And by doing that, creates a little bit of an internal competition as well uh, among the companies. So it's a good mechanism. And it's, it's come a long way, I would say, since it started about uh, 2016. Yeah. How does that work in practice among the conversations mm. with the organizations? Because in theory, they, well, not in theory, in mm. reality, they are competing against one another and yet are working towards this common objective. Mm. How do you create that environment where they can kind of put the competitive part mm. away and, and work together as a team? Well, one thing about all these companies is they're deeply committed to achieving the goals of Paris. It's absolutely built into all of their strategies. All of them have different portfolios, so it makes it a little different for the companies themselves, but we're all committed to a common goal. And you almost have to get a group of companies like these to develop a common language. So the actual calculations, what you do, doing it all the same way has, has taken quite a bit of technical time. So when we get together, we talk about the pressures that we have. We also have you know, the pressure, the energy transition is there. The COVID pressures are down on demands. There's enormous pressures on all the companies and you'll see them having a restructure right now as well. And their portfolios are changing, some at different paces than others. And we don't talk about individual strategies so much. But the one thing about the oil and gas industry, and I have thought about this for a long time, I don't think there is another industry in the world that competes so fiercely 
but also partners up in big projects around the world. And that's partly because of national oil companies work with international oil companies and projects together. And the size and sheer scale of the capital was always so great that it was rare, actually, that one company wanted to take on all the capital on one of these big projects. So it's a unique kind of industry, and it leads to competition, fierce competition, as well as uh, cooperation that's very unusual. It would be good to see on climate uh, other sectors taking this on as well. You could see cement or chemicals or steel or aluminum would be a good thing if they could do this as well. Yeah, so how does the knowledge sharing work? So let's say somebody listening now is in chemicals or steel. How do you go about sharing that information with each other and what are the various forums that exist? Well, one of the things when we set this up, Dana, was that uh, we said the Oil and Gas Climate Initiative needed to be CEO-led. There's a lot of organizations that we're all part of, but the CEOs themselves needed to remain deeply committed to it. And that's important. And that takes a lot of CEO time. So underneath that, though, we have a series of work streams that work on the gas, the methane emissions. We have low carbon fuels work streams. So we have people that are brought in, seconded in from each of the companies. We have a permanent staff in OGCI that manages the work streams. And in addition, that big commitment to the billion dollar fund, that in itself is, uh, has people's its own board from the companies as well. So we have representatives that, that supervise this. So that knowledge sharing happens at multiple levels in the company, not just the CEOs. But the CEOs do get together and talk about it and steer it and like to be frequently updated on things. So the organization probably has maybe 40 people working in OGCI, for OGCI, multiple secondees, and then, of course, the CEOs. It works pretty well. It took a while. It's a little bit like managing the UN, but it's taken a while, and now it's really moving. You've got buy-in from the top, so that makes a world of difference. Well, let's talk about the members a little bit. They're comprised of international oil companies and national oil companies. But a lot of the climate news is really very much focused around these international oil companies. What part do you think the national oil companies and even smaller oil companies really have to play in this story? And and how how can you balance out that narrative? Well, Dan, that's a good point. I mean, most of the attention seems to be attracted by the international oil companies, the IOCs uh, in in Europe and, and in the U.S., Uh, But this organization goes way beyond that. It has the Chinese National Petroleum Company, CNPC. Saudi Aramco has been involved from the very beginning and Petrobras in Brazil. So they're involved. Sometimes getting their approvals requires government approvals to move some of the things we are doing for. So they manage it a little bit different. But the CEOs all work together. And so everybody learns from them. I think the environments that people work in are different. So you have uh, you have investors putting a lot of pressure on some of the companies, maybe less so on some of the national oil companies or depending on the geographies. Uh, you have ESG investing now, putting a lot of emphasis on this and they can invest only in certain companies. So it is a variety, but the fact that they're all committed to it is, is important. We have debated and talked about it as a group many times. Should we expand the membership? But quite frankly, this is 30%. It has, we want to be leaders in it. The technologies we develop, we're, we're certainly up for sharing with people, but don't want the organization to get too big that it's hard to do things collectively on it. So 
we do share the information with smaller companies and some of the other national oil companies. We just have had to, because it's not that big an organization, practically kind of limited at this. And again, this is 30% of all oil and gas production. And collectively, the numbers of methane emissions and uh, the carbon intensity upstream operations, they really are sort of a benchmark that any company could and should use. And these are some of the best companies in the world when you look at the numbers. Let's talk a little bit about those emissions. So specifically scope three emissions, which are just notoriously difficult to measure. What are your views around the best way to approach this from the OGCI members? And where should the emphasis really be placed on emissions reduction where there might actually be some progress? You're right. Around 9% of the emissions from oil and gas come from the operations itself of carbon dioxide and methane emissions come from that production and processing of things. We're all working with our customers to look at how they can reduce their footprints. And that's essentially what, you know, scope three is how people use the fuels and the products that are there. I have to say there's quite a little spectrum of what a scope three emission is. It's quite a definitional issue that needs to be worked out. OGCI is working together to come up with a, just like we did on the others, it takes a while, common definition for scope three or downstream emissions. I think we're we're about there on refining, uh, definition on refining emissions. It takes a lot of time and just know everybody's committed to it in OGCI. But scope three, people throw around scope three and it just needs a tighter definition. People that use it outside of the industry are all talking about different things as well often. But obviously getting the, uh, the intensity, carbon intensity of the fuels down, we have work streams on that. That's one way of doing it. And then of course, directly working with different sectors and customers Another example might be in that billion dollar fund I mentioned, we've invested with a company, a cement company that actually takes CO2 out of the atmosphere and captures it in the cement. That could be revolutionizing uh, as an example. Uh, But there's a lot of energy intensive industries that we're all working with, airlines, uh, aluminum, steel, uh, cement. Yeah, there's some really um, big ways to make, I guess, a, a meaningful impact in these hard to abate sectors. And of those, you know, I guess you're saying that the first place is to create the definition. So, so maybe the solutions aren't yet there, but where do you think might be some of the immediate partners? You mentioned airlines. Do you think there are other areas within scope three that OGCIs or just the members are going to be able to mm. reach out to and get some meaningful kind of progress? Because you have, you have to make that interlinkage as well. So cement is one we're working on. We've worked in invested in a a cement company that does the process different, differently. And so suddenly that's getting a lot of attention. So the cement industry, uh, cement uh, gives off a lot of CO2. For example, uh, steel processing. We're working with some of the steel companies on how they process things. And the individual companies have their own relationships with big customers. So this is another big area for us to move into as OGCI and the individual companies. It'll come. This is probably the hardest area actually. We will continue to watch this space. Mm. Well, so let's talk about some of the path forward in terms of kind of the current climate right now. What areas do you think maybe aren't getting enough attention that should be getting attention? And this has to do with the fact that I think everybody's sort of looking for some sort of technology development or something that could pose Mm. as a green swan, if you will, that's going to really Mm. move the agenda forward. Because to your point earlier regarding short-term emissions, short-term emissions reduction goals and longer-term emissions reduction goals, some of those longer-term emissions reduction goals Mm. 
we don't really know how we're going to get there. So what do you think could be a potential green swan? There's probably not a silver bullet out there, but we should certainly try to get as many of these bullets as we can. And one that I think the public in general doesn't know much about, and the, their eyes kind of glaze over when they hear things like CCUS or CCS. So that's carbon capture use and storage or carbon capture and storage. That's one area that OGCI is focusing a lot on. There's about 30 uh, CCUS projects around the world out there. Almost any scenario that I've seen to get to the goals of Paris are going to require carbon capture and storage. So we've, we've looked at five Kickstarter programs around around the world that we're looking at. It's one in the Netherlands, Norway, the US, one in China, and the UK. Uh, and OGCI, the Climate Investment Group, actually spent quite a bit of money laying out the technology and helping the UK government develop the policy that encourages a big project in the UK called Net Zero T-Side, which will take a lot of industrial complexes and capture the CO2, and then it can be piped offshore and put way back down in the ground where it originally came from, uh, as an example. And these can make big differences in the, the emissions profile of the world. It's not the green swan, I think, but it's an important one. And so we're working with governments like the U.S. as 45Q, which is a policy that is in, in the U.S., probably the best policy initiative in the world, really, to enable it. Big one around Rotterdam Harbor to create a ring around the big harbor and the industrial complexes to also take that out and put it under the ground as an example. And then further down the road, I'd expect OGCI to get involved with hydrogen. Hydrogen is going to be a big, big contributor to this. And I'll just remind people that don't like natural gas. I mean, natural gas is really three carbon atoms, three hydrogen atoms connected to a carbon atom. And then you can move it around and then decarbonize the gas and have the hydrogen so it can be a carrier. Those are the sort of things that could really make a difference uh, later in the decade. Some creative solutions, and I think we're going to continue to very much watch this space on those technologies. So right now, the energy industry is going through a great deal of change. And mm. I want to know from your standpoint, you know, what are some of the lessons that you've learned both during your time as a CEO and more importantly, also working with the other senior executives that you work with through mm. the OGCI about the best way to lead through change and really navigate mm. what would be considered bumpy waters? Well, this is bumpy waters in the energy industry. Uh, I've, and the whole time I've been in the industry, usually there's a cycle up and down. When the upstream's up, the downstream is down and vice versa. This time, everything is down. Demand is down across the world and everything. It's not just oil and gas. It's everything, you know, hospitality industries, flying, many, many manufacturing industries, tough, tough economy. I think uh, as a leader of those, you have to be very flexible. You have to have patience uh, and perseverance. That's definitely got to be a hallmark of what's happening now. And uh, I always say nothing great happens without enthusiasm. So leaders have to be enthusiastic. I mean, people right now uh, need to be energized because these, it's really hard. And, and leadership through the camera, like we're, we're doing, is sort of an unusual way to lead. And you, know, you, you sort of lose that close human touch you had when you could travel and talk to many people. And having optimism about the energy transitions, changing your portfolios, working with investors in a different way, it requires a different set of leadership skills. Uh, but I think that one of patience, perseverance, and optimism is, is what will get companies through. And I can tell you the 12 CEOs that I, I deal with on this, they're all working very hard at this. Uh, makes me optimistic. <laughs> 
going to say this conversation has made me optimistic as well. Well, thank you very much for your time and for your insights today, Bob. We really appreciate having you here. Okay. Thanks, Dana. Thank you all very much. Today's episode of Switched On was edited by Rex Warner of Greystoke Media. Bloomberg NEF is a service provided by Bloomberg Finance LP and its affiliates. This recording does not constitute, nor should it be construed as, investment advice, investment recommendations, or a recommendation as to an investment or other strategy. Bloomberg NEF should not be considered as information sufficient upon which to base an investment decision. Neither Bloomberg Finance LP nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this recording, and any liability as a result of this recording is expressly disclaimed. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.